Lord, we, uh, we just stop down to listen. We take this time, Father God, to just be still in front of you. Holy Spirit, we recognize that you are here. And we would ask, that, Lord, if there was anything you would wish to say to us, that uh, you would open our ears to hear it. Give us the spirit to speak it. That everyone may be encouraged. Hallelujah. As always, it's if you have a picture, a thought, scripture, or a word from the Lord. We invite you to speak through your word this morning. We thank you um, for being here with us. And uh, just ask now, Holy Spirit, give us the revelation of your word. It is by your word, Father, that we exist. It is through your word that we understand. It is by your word that we stand. It is through your word that we find our truth and we find our protection and we find our identity. So, Father, we pray that you come, Holy Spirit, and, and speak through your word today in a powerful, powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. You know, we'd really like to have a wireless microphone. Charlie and I have been trying to get one. But because of those towers up there, the radio towers, as soon as you, you could spend $20,000 on it and you're still going to hear Country 101 through, because it's right up there, all the FM and all the TV signals. But uh, until then, we'll work with what we got, the lowly microphone. Actually, I'll take it off anyway, so it's much easier all the way around. Um, I'm going to skip through a wonderful piece of scripture this week. And then we're going to do something at the end, uh, something very ceremonial, but something I had 
uh, participated in many years ago, and I just thought it was so effective. But I'm just going to look at a, a, a very interesting piece of scripture. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 through 11. Uh, just some background, the Corinthians, uh, the, the city of Corinth was a very, very affluent. Um, it's very much like the New York of the Middle East at that time. Very affluent, also uh, very promiscuous and a lot of stuff going on. It had all the attributes that too much money, too much liberty <laughs> brings. Um, so it was a pretty, as we would call it from a biblical standpoint, a pretty corrupt place. There were good people in it, of course. Um, it's interesting, when Paul went there, uh, he was scared because he knew the kind of city it was. As you might be going to, if God said to you, okay, I want you to go to Vegas and start preaching. Um, it could be a little bit daunting. But what did God say to Paul in the scriptures? He said, don't worry, I've got a lot of people in this city. Which proves to us, again, the power of someone praying. Don't underestimate the power of people praying and what it can open up uh, for someone and for a church. So, here we go. There's some really interesting things in here. I'm not going to delve deep into it, but if any of you has a dispute with another, and he, now he's talking to the church, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Now, this is a very interesting statement. Or do you not know... So he's saying, that, like, don't you know this? It's, he's speaking as if they should know this. So he's probably taught it before. It's probably been a known thing. Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? That's a pretty powerful statement. I don't know how that's all going to go on, but it says it's going to happen. And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Powerful thing. Do you not know that we will judge angels how much more the things of this life therefore if you have disputes about such matters do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church I say this to shame you see sometimes shame is a good thing all shame is not bad some shame is good it is possible that there is nobody among you is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother takes another to court and this in front of the unbelievers? It's one of the crazy things is when we do stuff that the world looks at it and just goes, uh, what's going on? Like you're supposed to be Christians and you're behaving like this? The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Boy. Everyone's looking for justice today. Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? And here's one of the, one of the real punch scriptures uh, from, uh, from the Bible. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a powerful statement right there. In today's world, that's a powerful statement. And it's not one that I say with any glee or any kind of pointing of the finger, as has so often happened. 
as if it's some kind of a reprimand or something. It was a, it's a warning for sure. But remember, he's talking to the church. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This wonderful, thank God for verse 11. You know? So, when we look at, I just want to look at a couple of things. First of all, speaking about conflicts within the church. Now, you may not be taking somebody to court, but it's telling us about how we should handle the situation. If you do have uh, a difficulty with somebody, and that maybe we should behave a little bit differently than everybody else should behave. And it says that we will judge the world. And in Matthew 19, 28, Jesus confirms this. He says, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. It's incredible. Now he's talking, about, he's talking to his 12 disciples there. But in, the, in this scripture in Corinthians, it says that we will judge the world. We do know that there's going to be a thousand-year reign and that it's going to be administrated from Jerusalem. Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem, and somebody is going to be governing the world. And it's not going to be, you know, your basic politician. It's going to be people of the kingdom that will be judging and overseeing all of that. It's really crazy. Verse 3 says, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Talking again that God has given us the ability to judge properly. It's whether or not we want to. What he's saying is when you're judging, you have to remember that maybe it's okay for you to be wrong. Wrong. Maybe it's okay for you to be cheated. Maybe it's okay for you to. I always say to people, you can have a relationship with someone when people are having a difficulty, especially in families, you know. And they're just not talking. Sisters and brothers aren't talking to each other or whatever it is. And it's all this. It's usually nothing. But I said, well, you have two choices. You can either be right or you can have a relationship. What do you want? You know, and these people were taking brothers and sisters to court probably over land disputes or something. And he's saying, isn't it, wouldn't you rather just be wrong so that you could stay in relationship and not shame the gospel by living in in this state like it's something we all really need to grasp that even if nobody else knows that you are at enmity with somebody and you're just not talking to them because they're mad or somebody says something to you in church and you just kind of avoid them for the rest of your life um, in the church and you're saying well nobody else really knows so it's not bringing any kind of disrepute to the gospel you know who knows the devil knows, and God knows. And so, really, he's saying about disputes and things that we have wrong with each other and with our families or whatever it is, what, you know, what do you want? Do you want a relationship or do you want to be right? And if right comes at the cost of being severed from somebody, uh, I don't know, I'd rather just be wrong than have the relationship. Just say I'm sorry. But I didn't do it. Doesn't matter. They think you did. Just say, well, I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. Doesn't matter. That's what they think. We have to deal according to their perception, not our intention. 
If someone's perception is wrong about something we've said or done, then you know what? You can stand there and say, well, I didn't mean it that way, and, I didn't, and just defend that till you're blue. Or you can say, oh, they have a wrong perception. Because you know who is the prince of the power of the air? The enemy. And when it goes from your mouth to someone's ears, there's all that time in between there <laughs> that he's hearing it, and he's going, how can I turn that into something negative and destructive in their mind when they hear it? Split second. And all of a sudden, someone's offended. You never intended to offend them, but the perception they got from what you said was offensive. Well, I never meant that. I don't need it. I don't, why should I apologize? I didn't say anything wrong. Do you want a relationship or do you want to be right? Do you want to have God's peace or do you want to have your own personal righteousness? You know, we as Christians should not be in disagreements with people. Now I know it happens. And I know there's some things you can't avoid. Paul said, as much as possible, live in peace with each other. But he's saying, you got to do it. Don't expect somebody else to do the good deed. We should be doing the good deed. Anyway, I didn't mean to go on like that. So we're going to judge an angels. Second Peter says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, that angels are actually going to be judged, and apparently by us. God willing, we stay on the road we're supposed to be on, and all goes well. Paul's surprised at their approach at handling disagreements within the church family and, and them taking it to the world to have a dispute resolved. We have something the world does not have. Actually, we have a couple of things. We actually, there's probably a lot of things, and I don't say it with pride or arrogance, but we have the Holy Spirit. Answer that. Oh, is that? Okay. Um, it's we have the Holy Spirit and we have forgiveness. This is a big weapon that God has given us, the ability to forgive. And we don't use it enough. Uh, it's not always easy to use. Um, sometimes it takes a chunk of flesh out of us to forgive. But that's when you know it's really working. Because as much as it hurts you, it's probably healing the other person. Forgiveness is a powerful tool. And I guarantee you, the judges down at city court are not going to sit there and forgive you for what's your crime and then go to lunch. It's not that he's going to set out a judgment or some kind of something. But we have this beautiful thing uh, called forgiveness. I was talking to a Christian friend of mine the other day, and there was some kind of dispute around a road or something. I don't know how it all happened. This man's out in Calgary. My Christian friend is here. Anyway, this guy in Calgary is going to sue him uh, because a road was moved and all this stuff. And, and the guy said, and it could be like twenty, maybe $40,000 that it's going to cost my Christian friend. Or the guy said, I want to have the right of way over your property to go to the ocean. And uh, he said, no, I don't know if I want to do that. And I don't know if my wife wants to go do that. And, and I said, really? Really? Let him have it. If he wants to walk across for the three months or the, the month, a year he's here, and he wants to go across your property to get to the water, and that resolves it, why not? What I said, lose to win. And he goes, well, yeah, I guess. But it was a principle, you see. It's that principle. We get all principled 
when we're defending ourselves. And he said, well, yeah, maybe that's what I said. Just let him have it. Let him walk across your yard or whatever it is he wants to do. Who cares, right? If you die tomorrow, is it going to really matter that someone walked across your lawn for a month to go to the ocean? Like, so Matthew 5, 39. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Of course, you know what this is talking about. It's again having that give mentality of not holding offense. Well, the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is does not keep a record of wrongs, right? And you say, well, you know, I have to just, uh, I, I'm, why am I always the one who has to suck it up and just, you know, give in? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what he did. He didn't have to do what he did on the cross. He didn't have to do death's enemy. He didn't have to put up with all the shaming and the beating and everything that he took. But he did because it has a greater reward. And us doing the same thing in a very, very, very small way also has a reward. God's speaking to us about relationship. We should not really, we should not be in separate acrimony with people. We should not, not be able to have a relationship with people as long as it depends on us being able to fix it. We should, if we can fix it, we should fix it. I don't care if it's, you haven't talked to them for 20 years. Maybe now's the time to go and say, you know, I'm sorry about that. And Matthew 5, 40, if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat also. I'll tell you, that takes Jesus. That takes Jesus. Verse sev uh, 7 emphasizes this. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have become completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? It's whether or not we want to do that. G what Paul is trying to do in all of this is trying to get them to understand that our behavior, because the Corinthian church was very corrupt. It had all that gifting and all that stuff, yet all this craziness was going on. That's where the, the man was sleeping with his... Uh, his father's wife, like this incestuous thing was going on, and, and Paul's like, oh my heavens, come on guys, let's get this together. But of course, this is what Corinth was. This was not abnormal in the Corinthian culture. Some of the behaviors that are in our culture right now, I mean, you just go, what? Really? That's okay now? Like, yep, it's just normal behavior. So he's He's getting all these converts coming in with all of this behavioral stuff and the process of sanctification is starting to happen where God is starting to say, well, let's get rid of this and let's stop doing this and let's kind of turn our life into something that reflects Jesus uh, a little bit more clearly here. He gets really blunt and he says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. That word originally was, uh, and you see a lot of translation, it says homosexual, but homosexual wasn't in the vernacular, the English vernacular, until I think maybe 100, 150 years ago. I don't know when it was, but it certainly wasn't back then. So that's that the NIV clears that up and says what it is. Nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what, what Paul's talking about here, uh, because some people will look at this and as Christians, have a slip. 
They just have a slip. And guess what? They mess up. They mess up. And a lot of Christians can look at this and go, well, obviously I'm finished. It's done. I'm, I'm going to hell. And off I might as well just go and live the rest of my life this way. That's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what this scripture is getting at. It's getting at Christians who come into the church and continually live in these things. That's what he's saying. Hebrews tells us uh, more about it in Hebrews 10.26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Yeah, big ouch. Um, but remember, it's continually. It's saying, uh, this is the way I'm going to live. Just the way I'm going to live. And I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll get drunk on Saturday night, but I'll go to church on Sunday. And that's just the way I'm going to live. I remember um, I was uh, probably a year old in my faith. And I loved bourbon. And uh, I drank very heavily from the age of 15. I came to my faith at 19, really started in my faith at the age of 20 uh, in May of 2000 or 1980. And, and for a year, I still drank. Um, and enjoyed every minute of it. Um, I hadn't gotten to the point where alcohol turns. Alcohol is very deceptive. It's a wonderful dance partner, and you're leading the dance. And then all of a sudden you start tripping, and it starts leading the dance. And it dances you right into hell. Destruction for sure. There is never a good end to alcoholism. I've lived with two parents who are complete alcoholics, and I don't know anyone who has danced with alcohol in that intimate way where it hasn't ended up in a mess. It may take longer for some, it may take less for others, but trust me, you're dancing to your doom with alcohol. But I'm sitting in the backyard feeling all great and laying in the sun, and I had a, a it's so pretentious. I had a brandy sniffer of, of bourbon. It's just so pretentious. And I was looking at it, and I just went, I don't want this anymore. Like, it wasn't I couldn't have it. It wasn't I'm a being a bad Christian. It was just, no, oh, you're done. And it was over with. And I never touched alcohol for 18 years. And after, and well, I suppose I better explain that, eh? <laughs> Now I get drunk all the time. <laughs> but I wouldn't have a glass of wine at a meal uh, when I'm away on vacation, wouldn't do anything. But uh, now, I, uh, you know, I don't do it very often. But if there's a situation, I, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it anymore. And it doesn't have that hold. And there might be a glass of wine here and there once or twice a year for some reason. But in the last, certainly the last two, three years, nothing. So Paul reminds them of a wonderful truth when he says, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. You know, um, about during this walk that I'm walking uh, with whatever this condition is um, for the last year, and thank you again for praying for me because the only reason I'm able to stand here today 
is because the body of believers prayed and has enabled me to get this far. Um, and I will not ever shy away from talking about how difficult it has been. And the combination of childhood trauma and the, the coming of all that stuff up the and the spiritual on top of it, um, it was and is punishingly, punishingly difficult. Some of you have seen me in the real hard states. But during it, there was a narrative. And a narrative, by that I mean a belief, uh, a storyline that kept on being pushed at me. And I would think back when the anxiety would be really bad and the oppression. I don't know if any of you have ever had oppression. Oppression is different than anything else. It is this suffocating presence and this blocking of anything good. It's a, it's a terrible thing. But in the midst of it, I would think of everything I did wrong. Everything I did wrong in the marriage, everything I did wrong in my Christian walk, every misstep I ever made, every wrong word I ever said, every bad thought I ever had, every it, it would just come over and over with it, a tremendous visceral feeling of judgment, punishment, and in the end, abandonment. And the narrative that was being said to me was, and I, this happened like, uh, some time ago where I was walking in the, in the house praying, trying to pray, and I said, Father, what is going on? And three words came very clear to me, sense of judgment, punishment, and abandonment. And I said, that's it. I said, that's exactly what I'm feeling. And the devil, and trust me, the prince of the power of the air is working overtime to get you to see what's wrong instead of what's right, to get you weak instead of strong, to walk in darkness instead of light. And the, it was so powerful and relentless over these months that when that came to me, I said, that is exactly the narrative that Keith, you are being judged for all those things you did wrong. You're being punished for all those things that you did wrong. And God has basically said, because of how long this has gone on, we're done. God is saying, this is what you get, son. I tried my best. I'm going over to work with him. And that's what I, doesn't just what I thought, it's what I felt. It came with very real emotions. And this is what is really confounding and very, very difficult, and that's called spiritual warfare. When your mind is being used against you, your emotions are being used against you, and in the midst of it all, God is silent. That's a powerful combination. And I said, that's it, Father. I said, that's exactly what I feel and what I have been believing. And then he, this very calm, it was so kind of this calm statement came and said, Keith, what happened to Jesus on the cross? He was judged for our transgressions. He was punished, as Isaiah says, for our transgressions. And he was abandoned. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And I went, oh, my heavens. And this massive transference happened. 
And I said, oh, wait a minute here, you lying devil. And I got duped into believing it. I said, no, Jesus took my judgment. Jesus took my punishment. Jesus was abandoned so that I would not be judged, so that I would not be punished, so that I would not be abandoned. And I said, so what does that leave? Well, if that's not what God is doing, what is going on here? And I said, it's redemption. There is an act of redemption going on here that I don't totally understand. But when you know you're not being judged and you know you're not being punished and you know that you're not being abandoned, that's a powerful truth. That is a powerful thing because those are the things. I don't know about you. I don't know what struggles you've gone through. I don't know what struggles you're in. I don't know if you've gotten that same feeling that you're just being punished and judged and, oh, my heavens, look at what I did 20 years ago, and now it's finally coming back to get me. You know, whatever it is, whatever those feelings are that come, it is a powerful truth to know that you are not being judged, you are not being punished, you are not being abandoned. Everything God does, he does out of love. Now, love always hopes for the good, right? First Corinthians again. So everything that's happening, though we may not be able to see God in it, we may, may not be able to feel God in it, but we know that God said all things work for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And that we know that God is doing something redemptive through it. I remember many months ago, waking up at like 5.30 in the morning, just stricken with anxiety and panic and everything. And I had a wonderful 15 minutes of prayer all of a sudden with God, but a statement came into my head and said, I'm doing a, a good thing a very hard way. And I went, great. But the sanctifying work of God sometimes is a purging work. And it's everything that God does. Sometimes surgery hurts. And I don't know totally all of what's going on, but I know this, it's redemptive. Because everything God does is to redeem you and to redeem me. That he is trying to bring us into a greater presence of him, a greater knowledge of him, a greater reflection of him. That's what God wants to do. And, he's, and when we look back at wash, that wonderful statement that we're washed, Acts 22, 16, what are you waiting for? This is Peter talking to all of the people that were there on the day of Pentecost. Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away. How? How do I have my sins washed away? How do I have my sins washed away? By calling on the name of the Lord. That's it. That's the only thing that's going to do it. It's not talking about baptism here. It's talking about calling on. That's what washes our sins away. Calling on the name of the Lord. And that can be simply just saying the name Jesus or help me or Father, but calling out and saying, I don't know how everything should be and how everything works, but I'm calling on the name of the Lord. Sanctified, which means to be set apart to serve and reflect Christ, both now and in eternity. You know, sometimes we need to have our feet washed. Um, we need to have stuff washed off us. John 13 14. And since I, your Lord, this is Jesus speaking, and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. 
You know, uh, I know that there's a lot of people feel that's talking about us, you know, caring for each other and, and uh, being humble in front of each other, and it does mean that. But it's very interesting. Jesus wanted to wash Peter's feet. And Peter said, no, no, you're not washing my feet. And he said, I have to wash your feet or you can't be part of me. He said, well, wash my whole body. And Peter's and Jesus said, I don't need to do that. That's already done. You're with me. But I have to wash your feet. Because sometimes as we walk through life, I know this is metaphoric and it might stretch it a bit, but it's what comes to me. When we're walking through our life as Christians, we pick stuff up on our feet. You cannot live in the world that we are living in and have the velocity of sinful propaganda, enticement, and allurement coming at you and it in not in some way affect you. We have to understand we are not invincible. Christ is. But we are going to walk in out of this probably every week, if not every day, with something hanging on us. You have to work very hard to keep a sanctified mind every day, going in your workplace, interacting with people, driving your car, road rage. You know, they say you are what you are in the, your character is what you are in the dark. No, your character is what you are in your car when you're driving your car. That's your character. But what, what Jesus was giving us an example of here was saying, no, as brothers and sisters, we need to help each other when we're walking and we've got muck on us of the world. And it may show itself in many different ways. And instead of saying, wow, they're really slipping, to go over and say, can I help you? I want to pray for you. What are you going through? What, uh, what do you need? Why are you back with that person? Why are you hanging around with them? Why are you doing that? Not in an accusatory way, but it's helping to wash each other's feet. James uh, tells us basically this, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, okay, there's a statement. If one of you wanders away, apparently it happens. Because James, the church is not that old at this point, and they've already had this happen to the point that James is able to refer to it, that people kind of wander away. Yeah, and, and sometimes they're tricked, and sometimes they're alert, and sometimes maybe they're not to that point with booze that they can kick it. They're not to that point with that relationship where they can let it go, or they're not in that situation where they can forgive yet. And they go back into wrong behaviors. We slip. You've got to understand grace. We've got to understand grace. Grace is not just something that happened the day you got saved. It's something that we need every day, and you need to apply it to yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if you don't forgive yourself, guess what? You ain't never going to forgive your neighbor. If you can't look at the wrongs in yourself and say, God loves me in spite of this, and I'm going to allow him to work on it as best I can, but I ain't going to wear it like some funeral robe. And if you can't do that with yourself, I guarantee you, you will have a very hard time doing it with somebody else. And if you do do it with somebody else, you'll have a little bit of, hmm, hmm, 
in there. A little bit of, hmm, I'm better than that. And, and so he's saying, listen, y'all in the church, you need to understand that there's going to be that time that someone might wander off into, into the weeds and you'll, you'll have to do something. And it tells us what to do. If you, from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. It's a beautiful thing. But we, instead of, oh, well, they've wandered off the path and, yeah, they've left the faith. Huh. And then we just surrender. It's, it's the classic where we just, the wounded, we just let them die on the side of the road. Instead of going in there and helping revive whatever was broken, whatever faith thing happened, whatever problem they've had, and to have grace and mercy for them. And finally, justified. Romans 3, 24, 26. This is a powerful, incredible, it's one of Paul has, uh, Romans is Paul's great, great theological uh, production. It's just in full of so much theological truth. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. We won't really understand that until we get there. A friend of mine uh, has a very profound revelation of this. And it, it, every time he talks, he just cries. Very profound revelation of it. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, for your sin and my sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shed his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, which is a whole other sermon. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. That's it. We are right in God's sight when we believe in Jesus, not when we get it right, not when we've finally gotten over that sin, not when we have finally fulfilled whatever we think it is to be a, a, a hop and skipping Christian, but when we simply believe in Jesus, in what he did and what he is doing right now. So sins and slips and behaviors. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are in your walk. I don't know if there is something that you uh, really feel that you want to be cleansed from. I know I've had this experience. It was years ago, and we'll go into the, the ministry part here in a minute. But I was at uh, an intensive week, and it was five days of just like hard going, working on your stuff and sermons and ministry at night and it was really tough and at the end of it on the Friday they had everyone come up and they did a cleansing ceremony and they just said put your hands out think of something that you want God to cleanse you of it could be something from years ago that you just have not been able to let it go you just have some shame about it or whatever that might be and just put out your hands and they would come and they pour water on your hands as a metaphor, as a, as a kind of picture of God cleansing you 
that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. The washing of God's word cleanses us. Because if you're walking feeling dirty, sinful, less than holy, because we are holy, right? It's that Jesus imputed his righteousness to us in Romans. So we are holy. Whether you like it or not, you're holy. But sometimes we don't act it. Sometimes we don't feel it. And sometimes we have to be reminded of it. That we are, yes, sanctified when we accept Jesus Christ. We are completely sanctified and our sins are forgiven. But there is an ongoing sanctification process. And this just helps us maybe put it into a feeling and into a knowing. As we put out our hands and say, Father, I receive your cleansing. As we pour the water. And what we're going to do is you can come up the front. And I'm just going to go along and I'm going to pour water on your hands. And just... See it as a metaphor, a picture of the cleansing that Christ is doing in your life because I guarantee you that it's still happening. You have a ways to go. I have a ways to go. The cleansing, sanctifying process will not stop until the day we are finally with Christ and we are like him. And we don't have to drag around this corpse called the flesh, this dead flesh that causes us so much trouble at times. But that's what we want to do. So I'm just going to pray, and then uh, you can come up the front, and we'll, we'll do this. Father, we thank you for the finished work of Christ. We thank you that, yes, Father, we are sanctified, and we are, as we come to you, saved. And we are your child. You are our Lord. And we are one with you through the Holy Spirit. Father, we also know that there is a sanctifying process going on. And as I, as I come today, I just come to give you this and ask you to cleanse it, wash it away, sanctify it, redeem me for the purposes that you have called me. Ask Holy Spirit that you would come now and just be in this little ceremony and allow us to be touched and spoken to through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want, you can just come to the front. And if you don't want to, that's fine, that's okay. blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray this morning as we have come here and uh, gone through this ceremony, just like somewhat like you did with the disciples, that we receive your forgiveness. We receive your sanctification. We receive your justification. And Father, I pray that we would grow in ever deepening knowledge of that and that your spirit would guide us into the freedom of that. You love us, Father, and you love the whole world. And I pray that somehow, some way, what we did this morning will empower us to go and to shed or to spread that love and to be able to tell other people about it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Doesn't it feel great that water on the hands?
isn't it something? It really, it really, when, when they did it with me, <laughs> I put my hand up and they put it on my hand. And I'm all this, you know. And then they just stopped and I noticed they weren't moving. They poured the whole thing over my head. <laughs> Is it that bad? Like, but it was a real moment. I, I remember it so clearly. Um, let's uh, take up an offering. Uh, interact at the back for those at home. You know, uh, you can email it in uh, if you wish. And the uh, directions are on the screen. I um, want to say hello to Monique Brown, who is back. It's like, it's been a long time. So many times people think, where's Monique? I know people have been in touch with you and stuff. And uh, uh, just good to have you. It's great to have you back. Um, Cuba. Uh, we sent the money down to Jimmy. Uh, we were able to send 